Bellarmine Forum presents Footnote Catholic Insights from the Culture Wars. Here's your host, Christopher Mannion. I'm here with Greg August, a member of the Sovereign Military and Hospitaller Order of St. John of Jerusalem, of Rhodes, and of Malta. We're talking about the Knights of Malta's outreach to the youth of the United States in particular, especially with regard to the new evangelization. Now, last time we talked about the focus meeting of 6,500 young people who paid their own way to Orlando, Florida to for a long haul, yes. day and night. Uh, you were there uh, as a member of the Knights of Malta bestowing the prize on the winner of our essay contest. Tell us a little bit about the rest of the conference and how uplifting it was. Uh, absolutely. Thank, thanks for having me again. Um, I, I think that the... I'll back into it. And uh, at the end of the conference, uh, there's there's always this you know celebratory mass and sort of the sending forth and the going away uh, mass, if you will. And at the very end of the <clears throat> excuse me, at the very end of the conference, and uh, I was uh walking with some of my young children I was, it was down in orlando and this beautiful setting absolutely picturesque setting um and we were uh walking by uh the, the lagoon and you know all these sort of beautiful things looking at all the beautiful birds and and i was overcome with a sense of loss they were in mass the 6,500 college students, my wife and some of my other children. And it hit me. It hit me like a ton of bricks. And the, the nearest I can, I can explain this feeling of loss, of, of something, something sad but bittersweet, uh, was every time I would leave my grandparents' farm as a young boy, I always had this great sense of, of loss that something ended, something beautiful ended, and I didn't want that something beautiful to end. It just, it left me sort of longing for more. And that is really the experience I had at the end of the conference. Now, the beginning of the conference. You know, everyone has their own journeys, and you, you journey down, and, and it becomes a little bit of a pilgrimage to, to you know, make your way down to these, these types of conferences. But we went a little bit early, a couple of days early, and so we walk into this. It was at the Disney Swan and Dolphin, which is their um, convention center. And it's gorgeous, absolutely perfect. And and as Disney does, everything you know, not a blade of grass out of the out of place or any of this kind of thing. Absolutely spectacular. The weather was perfect. So we arrive and we just sort of start settling in and enjoying the magnificent grounds with my children. And slowly, familiar faces begin trickling in. You know, friends that, that I have made through these relationships with, with the order, between the order and focus, uh, you know, business relationships, if you will, uh, some of their leadership, you know, showing up. Curtis Martin, who's their founder, and, uh, Joe Miller, 
Anyway, names after names of uh, in their families. See, very different than uh, I come from the tech industry professionally. Very different than going to a technology conference mm. in Vegas or mm-hmm. you know wherever. Been there. Yeah, absolutely. Completely different. And but the families, uh, you know, arriving and kids playing with kids and this type of thing. So it begins. There's this slowly beginning to build. And you're feeling the Holy Spirit beginning to breathe in and starting to draw all of these young men and women in. Then buses start arriving. And I, I have big fun with this. I'll go out uh, and, and walk around where the buses are going to arrive just so I can see the, you know, the, the possibility for mm-hmm. them. Something new is going to happen. They're going to have this grand encounter with Christ. And uh, in they begin to... to and the... the the hotel begins to swell. The uh, lobby areas begin filling with the noises of college students and, you know, just having fun and carrying on and all of these types of things. And then the conference begins with a mass and then some celebration. Uh, you know, they are college kids. They'll, they'll, you know, you can't... Uh, uh, just have them in mass all the time. They wouldn't be human. I mean, they need they need some. Uh, so they have entertainment and various Christian artists and singers and, and that mm-hmm. type of thing. And um, and then the next morning you go into various sessions. Uh, start with a keynote and and all of the you know best and brightest uh, of the new evangelization are there um, to engage these young men and women, to challenge them, as Christ challenged all of us, to keep taking another step closer towards him. His arms are open wide, but take that extra step. Walk towards me. Just, you know, come on, one more step. And that's that's what the entire conference builds to this sort of crescendo. And then, as I said, the, the Holy Spirit exhales, and we all go forth. And that in that exhale is where I had that longing, that that sense of ah, oh, it's over. The students probably did too, because the focus volunteers I've talked to describe a pretty dismal situation on many campuses where they might have one hour of an experience, of an invitation, of a mass or a liturgy of some sort that draws them close to Christ in a sacramental way. Yes. And then they go forth after an hour, and they uh, the uh, they hit the world. Yeah, and the world is hostile to Catholic teaching yes. and to Catholic practice, and a lot of Catholics are getting worn down in what very often is described as something like a meat grinder. I I, I have witnessed this very um, uh, very much uh, going on to college campuses, spending time ministering to to uh, college students, through Newman Centers, through Focus, uh, always as, as a Knight of Malta, always stepping into that realm as a Knight of Malta. The blackness of the world in which they exist is, um, is terrifying. But we step forward. We step onto the tip of the spear and witness to them with open arms begin allowing them to see it is possible to step out of the, the, this quagmire in which they find themselves, that they can be authentically masculine men, that they can be pure 
men and women, serving Christ, loving Christ. That, that's what we're able to do. Uh, and the battle is big. It's a, it's a massive battle. But we take it one student at a time, mm-hmm. one, one young man, one young woman at a time. And it is the personal invitation. Benedict said it, uh, you know, about the new evangelization. Repropose Christ. And when, when we repropose, they come alive because there is nothing else for them, really, that can, can even compete on any real level. With the Knights of Malta in the United States, what avenues are open to the young man or young lady who might be interested in working more closely with the order under its auspices, uh, alongside it, or even inside it? So what we've been able to do in uh, recent years, historically there has always been what they call an auxiliary, uh, which has always been open to young men and women. Really, it was set uh, historically here in the United States as um, an avenue for knights and dames to have their uh, sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters come and participate in various things, uh, various works, uh, whether it was working at a soup kitchen, whether it was, you know, working at the uh, um, uh, Catholic uh, uh, Spanish Health Center down in D.C., whether it was painting um, Mother Teresa's uh, home for um, uh, abandoned, you know, young women and, and, and this type of thing. That's what they, it had historically had been. Over time, that then turned into something much more meaningful, much more real, in drawing in um, uh, young men and women, again, really post-college. And uh, it hasn't been until really recently that with our engagement with Focus, with what the Grand Master said you know, several years ago about uh, he sensed that this was the time for the order to begin re-engaging the youth at the educational level um, because they're being driven out of healthcare worldwide. I mean, that's no secret. We'll probably have to do another show on that. But this is um, uh, this is something that has become very, very obvious to the order that the further that we can reach uh, down to the youth and start grabbing a hold of them and bringing them up, the better off we're all going to be. So we now have, uh, we're now establishing programs uh, at at sort of whether it's the regional level uh, down to uh, almost the parish level, if you will. Well, not parish level, really at the university level, attaching uh, groups of knights and dames with um, uh, Newman centers, uh, Newman centers, hopefully, that have focus, but it doesn't have to be because we can we can minister without focus being on the campus. But really, that's the hand and glove approach is is uh, Malta teamed up with the Newman Center that has teamed up with Focus. Mm-hmm. Then you have a very very powerful team that can operate at all kinds of different levels and get a lot done for the students. Well, in terms of the daily prayer of the order, uh, the member is called on to uh, defend the Catholic, the apostolic, the Roman faith against the enemies of religion and to serve our neighbors, especially the poor and the sick. 
Yes. To use Pope Benedict's language, there is no more need for defense of the faith than there is on the average secular college campus where the dictatorship of relativism reigns supreme. Absolutely. And the poor are the impoverished, intellectually promising students who have been deprived of the truth, and they are thus sick because their nature is lacking something it needs to breathe, to survive, and to grow in the way that Christ wants them to. So hospitals, orphanages... Uh, food, pantries, soup kitchens, all everything we do right here in our little rural county in Virginia, but also the campus is kind of a microcosm of its own. Yes. And the need to fulfill every demand that the order makes on its members, isn't it? That's right. Well, if you could see the the souls of these young men and women on these college campuses... I think that we would see really something quite horrific. I think we would see something that, uh, you know, amputated souls walking around broken, uh, destroyed, and yet because we can't see them, we don't think that there's anything wrong. We don't think it's it's sort of the, uh, it's as if everyone is walking around with a picture of Dorian Gray hiding in their, hiding in their uh, closet somewhere. Because we can't see that brokenness. But it's there. Because if you spend five minutes with them, mm-hmm. you find it. The faces with the, in the old vocabulary, <clears throat> not just the wages of sin, mm. but the burden of evil, the ball and chain that they're dragging behind them. Yes. And from what the feedback I get, and I started teaching in colleges over 40 years ago, the feedback I get is that they hate it. Yes. They hate it. They are stuck in these rituals, if you will, of college life. The experience, colleges no longer recruit on the basis of the education because most people, frankly, consider the 12 years they spent in school who have been awful, and they don't want that, that they offer the climbing walls, the sports, the weekend parties, the sororities, the fraternities, and all the conviviality and the lifelong friendships, none of which is enriched by a common core that anybody has to take. When I taught at Boston University and had a class of 50 or 60, both undergraduates and some seniors, uh, that is, over 60s, who were taking the course, I realized after about two weeks that I could not assume that there was one book in the millions that have ever been written that everybody in that class had read in common. Isn't that incredible? Not one book. And so the diversity reigns supreme, and then comes the what do they have in common if there are no intellectual or religious or other traditions. They all have the lower appetites in common. Party hardy, yes. and then sinking into the desolation of alienation, especially of the girls. Yes, when it comes to the party scene. That's right. I I, I think um, you know you and I had a conversation uh, back uh, s- several several months ago, and 
uh, I think the term that you used uh, with me was ab- uh, the abusive nature of university on our young women. And seeing what, what is happening to these young women as they're walking really out of campuses. You know, they, we, we drop them off all happy and, you know, as, as parents and, okay, have a good time. And I don't think that we realize really that we are, we are setting them adrift into a, into a place where they are going to be preyed on. And that's a very, very sad state of affairs, particularly when you see, uh, as parents, you know, you have to write a check for, you know, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year so your daughter can be preyed on. It's there's something wrong with the system at this What's point. What's wrong with this picture? Well, you know, the notion of chivalry was kind of written off uh, by the Enlightenment, uh, and that even the notion of uh, common courtesy has been read out of a large part of American culture as not only passe, but often offensive. Yes. I hold my own door, thank you. But the notion of the Knights of Malta reaching out to young men and showing them a path of respect and chivalrous high regard for women women and womanhood uh, might be a great place to start. And as you point out, it's one-on-one. You can talk to a group. I'm an old barroom entertainer. I realize that there is going to be an obdurate wall yes. uh, between me and most of the people I might be engaging. But if our job is to plant that seed and let the Holy Spirit fan it into flame, and yes. years later, and this has come to pass in my life many a time, up pops somebody who tells me that years ago... You said this, and I did this instead of that. And here's the baby I had, or here's the boy I married, or here's the boy, the relationship, thank God, that I got out of. Uh, So we just have to do our part. And um, now the young can affiliate themselves with the order, and then the order has certain levels of service within its membership. That's correct. Uh, give me, we have a couple of minutes left. Give me a brief description of the variety of, uh, I guess, status. Uh, married men and married women can be knights and dames of Malta. Yes, there's, there are three, um, three ranks, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a order. military order. It is a military order, so we, we, we definitely have ranks. Uh, the the largest uh, is the the knights and dames of magisterial grace, and there's there are some sub uh, and subtleties in there. So I'll just give you sort of the large the large swath at this. The second group is uh, knights and dames in obedience, and the next grouping, which is only open to men, is uh, our knights of justice. And our Knights of Justice is what allows the order to still exist as a religious order uh, and a military order. Um, you know, we're we're not. We are also a sovereign nation. You know, we hold we hold uh, uh, that status and permanent observer status at the UN and you know various you know treaties with you know. X number, I don't know, 90 countries or some such mm-hmm. thing. You have diplomatic relations That's with right. 
many uh, countries around the world, and not the United States as of yet. No, not as of yet. Uh, and I think historically uh, it made sense, uh, Catholic countries. Um, but I, for us, the, the Order of Malta uh, has uh, a... Uh, the, the Malteser International, which is its disaster relief arm, mm -hmm. uh, the Red Cross before the Red Cross existed, really. Um, that is really why having diplomatic relations is so important now. It isn't, you know, it isn't so important for us to have diplomatic relations for, uh, you know, to run a soup kitchen or something, but to be able to move uh, disaster relief or to uh, provide certain drugs mm -hmm. and moving those things into country very quickly, uh, it is important to have those diplomatic relations. And so um, hopefully we, we will uh, have that at some point here with the United States. And when the um, Knights of Justice uh, operate, are they part of a community or are they in the world? No, you know, historically they were in community mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, lived uh, in monasteries, you know, this type of thing, and, and forts <laughs> that were monasteries. Uh, but uh, really since the, the fall of Malta um, in, under Napoleon, 1790s, somewhere in the 1790s is when mm -hmm. the island of Malta actually uh, fell. And, uh, and the order no longer lived in community as such. And so it became more of a virtual uh, community, not dissimilar to um, other, other things like the Opus Dei and this type of thing with mm -hmm. their numeraries. But... But the order itself, I do think that that perhaps uh, when they see the new wave of young men coming into the order through the new evangelization, I think it will demand that they will begin look, having to reinvestigate that because that is an important thing. Community is very, very important. Um, it might not be so important uh, when when there's there's a few of you and you can draw from other community small community but if 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 we are to reinvigorate the order uh, to come alive again I do think that that may be something that we'll see again in the future but I don't know you know I it comes to mind as the new Pope Pope Francis is calling all of us to more service uh, to the poor in spirit as well as the poor in material goods. The notion of a Malta house or a group of Malta houses springing up at various campuses around the country to allow young men to come and live normal lives right. without pledging away their lives, their fortunes, or anything else, but as a signal and a symbol of the outreach of the order and of Holy Mother Church to the Catholics and others who want to live according to natural law uh, and God's law, which is true for everybody, not just Catholics. That's right. Uh, that might be a way that uh, the members of the order who want to do more uh, can find their way both to be of service and to reach out to the young and to foster that locus that community that will in turn allow the new evangelization to happen which has to happen in community that's right 
the only way that a person can become a humble hermit is to pass through community and out of love go to the hermitage. That's right. Not like Rousseau, to hate society and head to the hills. That is not the Catholic way to live a solitary life. Well, Greg August, thank you for joining us on Footnote and discussing the Order of Malta and uh, Focus. Uh, The Focus groups can be found on your campus, if you're listening to this from one of the 74 colleges and universities that have Focus chapters. Focus, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students, focus.org, and they'll tell you who's where and how you can get in touch with them when you find them. Thanks for listening. This is Christopher Mannion. Thanks, Greg August, for joining us. You've been listening to Footnote, Catholic Insights from the Culture Wars. Footnote is brought to you by the Bellarmine Forum. Copyright the Bellarmine Forum. All rights reserved.